As we continue our worship, we'll focus for just a few minutes on this subject, and that is the depths of despair. The depths of despair. And that is coming out of the depths of despair and staying out of the depths of despair. It's something that we are, we're all interested in, in doing. I enjoy the Charlie Brown uh, seasonal uh, cartoons that have come our way over the years. Especially enjoyed um, over the years listening to Charlie Brown and Linus talking it out. And uh, on the Christmas episode, um, Charlie Brown is saying to Linus, I enjoy sending cards, I enjoy getting gifts, I just don't understand why I'm always depressed at Christmas. And Linus comes back uh, to Charlie Brown. He says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know that can take a wonderful season like Christmas and, and turn it into a problem. And Linus goes on to say, maybe Lucy is right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest of all. Well, before we get into the main part of our discussion, let's acknowledge a few things together. One is that we all have our Charlie Brown moments. We acknowledge we all have our Charlie Brown moments. We have times that we're down, sometimes not even explainable, while we are uh, heading down into the depths of despair. Uh, we find this even among Bible writers, uh, Romans uh, 7, uh, 24. Paul, in discussing his struggles with the flesh, and the mistakes he makes, he says, O wretched man that I am. And so even the great apostle Paul would have uh, some moments of despair. Uh, we remember what Job faced and all that he faced. Uh, we read Job saying, of course we understand, and we understand also that Job uh, comes out uh, with a mountain of faith eventually. But in Job 3, verse 3, Job is saying, I wish the day that I was born had never occurred. He's basically cursing the day he was born. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14, has a similar idea from the great prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9 that there was a time when he had just almost given up even speaking for God. And so let's acknowledge that we all have moments... And it's part of the human makeup. We have moments of, of where we're rather despondent at times. Let's also acknowledge that uh, our Charlie Brown moments come from a variety of sources. It can be uh, from a loss of a loved one and just thinking about that uh, from time to time. It could be from financial strain. Uh, it could be from um, physical limitations, physical injury. Uh, physical uh, sickness. Uh, it could be just from being, being very tired. It could be from conflicts at work or what it might be. And so we realize and acknowledge that, that all of us are a little bit different and have different situations, but sometimes these different situations can bring moments of uh, despair. But let's also acknowledge this. We know and we, we are very sure that God wants the best for us. Jesus says in John 10 and verse 10, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So the Lord wants the best for us. The apostle writes in Hebrews 6 and verse 11, 
that he wants us to have the full assurance of hope. The full assurance of hope. And we long to grow in the qualities uh, of uh, of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Galatians uh, chapter 5, 22 and 23. The Lord wants all of these qualities to be in our lives. He wants us to have the very best life that's possible now and especially that which is to come. And so with these thoughts in mind, let's notice about five thoughts, about five major thoughts that can help us to stay out of the depths of despair. Thought number one is this. We can be free from the guilt of sin. This is enormous. We can be free from the guilt of sin. You see, sin is the major cause. It's the root cause of all depressing situations, either directly or indirectly. Sin is the major cause. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we're going to have problems throughout our existence and throughout life, maybe even throughout uh, eternity. Our modern day uh, psychologists and psychiatrists, uh, there's some things that they do uh, say and, and uh, contend for that might be helpful now and then, but most of them do not start where you need to start, and that is with the problem of sin. It is the greatest problem in the world, and subconscious guilt, okay, uh, is a huge factor. And causing us to get into depths of despair. It's a huge factor. Okay. David says in Psalm 32 verse 4. Notice, notice how he talks about it there. Psalm 32 and verse 4. He says, day and night the, the, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. Now think about that. Day and night the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. David in this psalm is, is confessing his sin. Day and night the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. My strength was all dried up like summer heat. Okay. What is it, David, that has, has left you in such a condition? Well, it was the sin in his life. The sin in his life. Most people walking around, because we're all made in the image of God, we understand it. That without the Lord, there is something missing in our lives. There's something deep down that is, is, uh, is, is prodding us. It is disturbing us. What is that? What is that? Well, that's sin. That's the guilt of sin. And if we don't tackle that first, then there will always be a hole in our soul. There will always be a great void down deep within us. And it will plague us both here and in the life after this. David also said in Psalm 51 in verse 3 as he's confessing his sin. He said, my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. He he just couldn't get rid of it. Think about all that David had. He was King David. For his day at his disposal, he could have just about anything that he wanted to have. He had power. He had wealth. He had prestige, but still gnawing at him on the inside was his sin. My sin is ever before me. Saul of Tarsus was very busy before he became a Christian. 
busy opposing Jesus Christ the Lord. But even then, deep down, being busy opposing Jesus, there was something gnawing away at his insides as well. If you'll recall, as he tells about his conversion, Acts 26 and verse 14, I believe it is, the episode has Jesus coming to uh, Saul and saying, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the, the goads or kick, kick against the pricks. A, a prick or a goad was what they used in those days to prod is a long stick with a, with a piece of metal at the end and they would prod the, the oxen uh, to keep them uh, on the right path to direct them in the ways they wanted them to go. Well, in that way, there Saul was working in opposition to Jesus and yet, at the same time, he felt down deep. He had a guilt about him. And finally, he understood what it was uh, whenever he found uh, the gospel. So the good news is, though, we can be free from that guilt. When we submit to the Lord and obey Him, our sins are blotted out, Acts 3, verse 19. Our sins are blotted out, Acts three nineteen. When we submit to the Lord and obey Him, our sins are washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. They are washed away. According to Romans 6 and verse 18, when we obey the Lord, then we are free from our sin. We are free from our sin. Revelation 1 verse 5 says, we are released from our sin. Hebrews 8 verse 12 says, God will remember that sin no more. He will no longer remember that sin. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, Jesus is our Passover. Therefore, His blood covers our sin and then washes it away. Going back to the Old Testament, Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has I, have our sins been removed from us. Isaiah 38 verse 17 says, God cast our sins behind His back. See, He doesn't remember them anymore he doesn't see them anymore. According to Micah chapter 7 verse 19, God will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. He will trodden our sins under his feet. In other words, our sins are just no longer there. And we can be free from guilt. In addition to that, now just as a little sideline, not only can we be free from our guilt, but as Christians we can grow in Christ and learn to sin less. To sin less. There's a good book that came out in our brotherhood a few years ago. I'm forgetting the author's name right now. Aubrey Johnson's his name. He wrote The Barnabas Factor, but later he wrote the, uh, a little book called um, Love More and Sin Less. You see, we don't have to keep sinning. And we won't ever be sinlessly perfect. None of us will. But we can grow into a situation where we're not sinning as much. Right? As Paul says in Romans 6, 11, and 12, let not sin reign in your body. And that can continue to be a good thing. Jesus Christ can reign more and more over us, over our thoughts, and over our hearts, over our habits, and over our lives. And we can sin less. We can be free from guilt. That's the first major thought. Second major thought is this. Coming out of the depths of despair and staying there, staying out of it. The second major thought is we can have real purpose and passion in our life. We can have real purpose. This is a situation because we are made in the image of God. 
there's a part of us that's very much like God. Think about how purpose God is. Think about how much he has accomplished. He purposed to bring this universe into the world, and here it is. In six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Here it is. He purposed to bring Jesus Christ into the world. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4 verse 4, Jesus came into the world. He purposed to punish the world and save Noah and his family and anyone else that would have obeyed, but he saved Noah and his family from that great flood. He purposed it and he accomplished it. Okay. He purposed to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18 and 19. He purposed to do that and he accomplished it. He purposed to bring forth a nation out of Abraham's seed that would eventually bring Jesus into the world. He purposed that and he accomplished that. He purposed to bring his people out of Egyptian bondage and bring them across the Red Sea, and he got that done. He purposed to bring his people on into the promised land through Joshua, and he got that done. He brought Jesus into the world through the virgin birth. He prophesied about that, Isaiah 7, 14, and he got that done. Think about all the things that the Lord has gotten done. He purposed to bring Jesus in the world to die for our sins, to resurrect him from the dead, to have him ascend up on high, to establish the church, and he's got that done. We have within us a part of that. Part of being made in the image of God is we're able to purpose things and get things done. We can have real purpose and passion in our lives because we're made in his image and because his purpose for us is so clear. It is so clear. We've basically already mentioned it, right? Okay. This freedom from guilt that we have is then to be our purpose in life. You see. We know that God's big purpose is 1 Timothy 2, 4. He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he wants us involved in that constantly in our lives. That's that's our big purpose, and we can have that purpose. But we get that purpose whenever we become free from guilt, you see. That is to be automatic. Automatic. In other words, we are to so understand our freedom from guilt that that just translates into us wanting and begging for the opportunity to share what has brought us free freedom from guilt, share that with other people. When Jesus was in... Simon the Pharisee's house, he explained it this way, Luke 7, verse 47. He said, He that is forgiven little loves little. Luke 7, 47. This is your passion statement. Okay? It's all you've got to remember to always have passion and God's purpose in your life is Luke 7, 47. He that is forgiven little loves little. Talking about loving the Lord, loving everything about the Lord. Okay. Does that mean I've got to go out here and commit a lot of sins to be forgiven of those sins in order to have that great love? No, you just got to be aware how huge it is that you've been forgiven of your sins. And it becomes so huge and so important that that becomes your ultimate purpose for living in every situation. You see, this purpose is to be our purpose in every phase of life as we become young adults, as we are single, as we are married, uh, when we become parents, when we are working at our jobs, when we are bringing up our, our families, 
when we are working with others uh, at church, when we are involved in our recreational activities, no matter what stage of life we're in, when our children leave home, when children uh, have their own families, when, whenever, whatever is going on, this is our purpose in life. And this will remain our purpose and under every circumstance, even the, even the rough circumstances. No matter what government is in control where we live, this will still be our purpose. It's such a great thing to have the purpose and passion of God. It keeps us from wallowing in our own selfish problems. That's why God gives us a purpose, gives us his purpose. You know, strange thing about a dog, a dog will be a good dog until they get outside and there's something smelly. What's that dog going to do? That dog's going to roll and wallow. We call it waller in, in Walker County. Waller. He's going to waller in that stinky something until you get him out of it or her out of it. And then what do you do with her? Well, there you go. You've got to give her a bath or whatever. And that's what we tend to do if we are not having the purpose of God in our life. We will wallow in our own, our own self, whatever is happening with our own self. We will wallow in that. And then we will live from that. You see, God's purpose is just great. It keeps us from doing that. It also keeps us from, from becoming dormant uh, in spiritual activity. You know, a lack of spiritual activity always breeds frustration. If you've got a frustrated person, it means they're not involved in something spiritual, biblical. Okay? That's where frustration comes from. You take, if you take water that's just standing around, maybe you know, if you just got water and you've got, a, you've got an old tire and you've got water in that tire, and you just, before long you have a lot of mosquitoes. It just breeds mosquitoes, basically. Okay. Well, a lack of spiritual activity does the same thing. It just breeds frustration uh, in our hearts, in our souls. Okay. It's one of the reasons we have Hebrews 10 and verse 24. Notice that. Carefully, Hebrews 10 and 24. Let us consider one another and let us provoke one another unto love and good works. That's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful because love and good works is to already be part of our lives, so much so that now we want to inspire other people to also be involved in love and good works. When you're doing that, there's no time for anything else, there's no time to wallow in yourself. There's no time to wallow in your frustration. Frustration will not be uh, coming because you're too busy doing the good things. And so second big thought we want to have together is we can have freedom from guilt, but also we can have a real purpose and passion. And third big thought, we can handle the difficult situations. You see, in talking about despair, we... we we acknowledge there are some, some rough times. There are some rough situations. But we can handle these through Christ. All right. Paul in Philippians 4 really hammers on this. Okay. Hammers on it. If you want to be turning over there for just a second. He, Philippians 4. And, you know, verses 9 following through about verse 13. When I think about people who 
who have situations that are just, you don't see a change in those situations. Okay. Maybe the loss of a loved one. You know, every once in a while I'll stop and just look at a commercial about wounded veterans. The wounded veterans. And you see, you see these young men who are now faced with the rest of their life. And they only have one leg, if that. Or just one arm. Or they have, they have an ear that has been, been taken away. Or they're left blinded. Or uh, sometimes even worse than that, part of, their, part of their heart has been taken away by war. And that they've been wounded. These are things they, they will not be able to change, at least not, not overnight. won't be able to change at all some, some of the situations. The good news is that God has given us the, the know-how. He gives us the skills, if you will, to be able to handle even the most difficult situations. Here in Philippians chapter uh, 4, Paul says... I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Oh, that we could all make that statement. I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Paul says, I have known how it is to be brought low. And he had. He had. He had been beaten. He had been shipwrecked, thrown in prison. He knew what it was to be brought low. He also knew what it was to abound because the brethren had blessed him. He says, uh, in whatever state, whatever state in, whether it be in plenty or in being hunger, in hunger, or whether uh, in abundance or in need, whatever that has been, I have learned a secret. Now Paul says, I have learned a secret. And the secret is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4 verse 13. Now notice right there in Philippians chapter 4 some little tools or little thoughts that are, that are embedded there to help us in every difficult situation. First of all, we've got to rely on the right person. We've got to rely on the right I can do all things through Christ. We can't rely on ourselves. We've got to keep going to Christ. That was Paul. Paul's Lord was Christ, no doubt about it. Rely on the right person. We've got to stand on the right standards. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 9. He says, Those things which you have learned and received and seen and heard in me, these things do and the God of peace will be with you. Well, Paul was an apostle. So everybody's supposed to hear what Paul says and learn those things and receive those things. Stand on those things. Stand on the word of God, in other words. And then you've got to pray the right prayers. Look at Paul's uh, statements in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, he says, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've got to pray the right prayers. What does that mean? Well, just listen to him. Be anxious for nothing. Okay. So every time a worrisome thought comes to our mind, take it to the Lord in prayer and leave it there as best you can. Leave it there. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything through prayer, talk to the Lord about it. In supplication, let the Lord know of your needs. With thanksgiving, huge in prayer, of course. Thanksgiving. We, we can't get done praying because of our thanksgiving list. With thanksgiving, let your request be known, be known to God. Let your immediate needs be known to him. Okay. So we've got to pray the right prayers. 
We've got to think the right thoughts. Notice there in Philippians 4 verse 8, Paul says, What sort of things are true, what sort of things are honest, honorable, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are of good report, if there be any virtue, anything else excellent that you can think of, any virtue, any praise, think on these things. Okay. We can overcome, or at least we can work through with Christ, we can work through any difficult situation if we rely on the right person, if we stand on the right standard, if we pray the right prayers, and if we think the right thoughts. That brings us to our fourth major thought as we get out of the depths of despair and stay there. The fourth major thought is we've got to retrain our minds. We've got to retrain our minds and our hearts. Retrain them. That's right. If somebody's been laid up in the hospital for, for quite a while, they, a lot of our people, I'm looking at you right now, a lot of our people have gone through rehab. Why? Because your muscles lay there and they have to get retrained to work again. You've got to retrain them to work again. Okay. And that also happens when you have to be laid up because of physical injury. You've got to retrain your muscles and your body to, to work again. It's the same thing with the mind. The, the world has a system, the world has a systematic way of thinking, okay? And it's not the thinking of, of Christ Jesus, see? That's why Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 5, Roger read for us this morning before Bible class, Philippians 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We've got to retrain our mind to think like Christ, and it's an ongoing process. The world has its way of thinking, bad. We retrain our minds. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 2, he says, Be not conformed to the world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've got to transform our minds, renew our minds, which will transform our lives, you see. So we've got to, we've got to retrain our minds. It's fully within our Ability because we're made in the image of God and we have the Bible, we have the example of Christ, we can do this. First, we've got to retrain our minds to look for the good in other people. You realize the Lord would have never sent Jesus to the earth had he not known of good things being on the earth. He, he believed in goodness of people. He believed in the goodness of people. We've got to retrain our minds to know that everybody, no matter who they are, they have some good in them. And you, what you want to do is to, to start there with people and then and work together uh, to grow in Christ. And also, we've got to retrain our minds to forget the mistakes of other people. Because none of us here on this earth are ever going to do everything just right. In fact, we're going to do a lot of things that are wrong. Even those you know, even those you've known all your life, they're going to mess up sometimes. We've got to train our minds to just say, you know, just forget the mistakes of other people. We've got to retrain our minds to count our blessings and not our pains. It's incredible that Paul here in Philippians was telling people in Philippians 4 verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And basically they had taken Paul out of his life. He was busy preaching the gospel, going here and there. You can read all about it. Acts uh, 
13 and onward, going on the missionary journeys, but then they accuse Paul of doing something he didn't do. And you get down to around Acts 22 and Acts 23, Paul is, is standing before officials, and then finally he appeals to, to Caesar, and it takes him more than five years just to get to stand before Rome, and then he's in Rome for two years, and that's, that's when he, he writes these books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, they basically took five years or more out of Paul's life for, and he didn't do anything to even closely deserve that. But look what he's saying here in Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. We retrain our minds to count our blessings and not our pains. And we can retrain our minds. Again, going back to this freedom from guilt and the passion that comes from it. We can retrain our minds to keep ourselves focused to see the big picture all the time. If we can see the big picture all the time, what's going to be most important 100 years from now? What's going to be most important 100 years from now, 150 years from now, 200 years from now? The most important thing is going to be this. Are you in heaven? And how many did you bring there with you? That's all that's going to matter to you 100 years from now. Big picture. And then our fifth big thought. And we'll close with this. If we want to come out of despair and stay there, we've got to be patient. We've got to be patient. So many, it seems like more and more so in our modern society, we believe there is some instant magical solution to every problem. If I can just change friends, if I can just change cities, if I can just be at a different school, if I can just have more money, instantly everything gets better. It's just not the way God is. First of all, God doesn't work on our time frame. And secondly, it's not His process. His process is, is using His Word. You know, First, the Word comes into our hearts. And then we seek to understand that Word. And then we seek how it applies to our lives. And then we seek to grow in that Word. And all the while understanding what Jesus has done for us on the cross in that process. It's a, it's a process. It's not a problem. Okay. Living for the Lord with a great deal of joy and hope is not a problem, but it is a process. It's a process. It's like, um, it's like we are clay and he's the potter. He's making pottery out of us. It takes time to do that. It really does. I used to hear our little ones uh, sing, our girls sing this uh, song. It's called, uh, He's Still Working on Me. Let me read some of this to you. He's still working on me to make me, and you're welcome that I'm not singing this to you. Okay. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. There's a lot more to that song. Right now, let's get ready to sing this song of encouragement. And hopefully this morning, by focusing at least on these five thoughts, we can, with the Lord and against Satan, stay out of the depths of despair. Can we assist you this morning? And obeying the gospel. Please make that known right now. As we stand, as we sing, Brother.